Hi, and welcome to another edition of Stories with a Pulse. I'm your host, Jeremy Rodrigo. Today, I am joined by uh, a gentleman I've known for many, many years, who has been a public servant for all of his adult life, um, Len Gersha. And uh, Len will tell you all about himself and his journey, um, especially through, most recently, through COVID. Um, and I think you're going to find this story pretty compelling. So welcome, Len. Thank you, Jeremy. It's well, First of all, it's great to see you again. And um, I am a uh, adrenaline junkie. I've been in the first responder in public health, public safety business my whole life. I uh, was a police officer for almost 20 years. I've been a paramedic concurrently. Uh, right now, I work at Yale New Haven Hospital, <coughs> excuse me, as the director of patient transport. And uh, I've done pretty much all the jobs in, in public safety, uh, a little bit of firefighting, but I don't like fires. So uh, <laughs> thank you. So um, let's talk about my COVID journey. Yeah. Um, in the early days of COVID in March of 2020, when the news started to report COVID coming first into Washington State and then across the country, based on my former role running the Yale New Haven Hospital Center for EMS, we were the CPR and ACLS instructors for the for the uh, hospital. We were called upon to assist our nursing colleagues who run the cardiac arrest response team to teach them how to use the thumper machines. And the thought process there was they were going to minimize the number of people that would respond to an in-hospital cardiac arrest to reduce the exposure. And the thumper is the machine that provides mechanical CPR. Right, right. sorry, I'm sorry I'm using vernacular okay. from, from the industry. Yes, yeah, so I was spent a lot of time um, with the two nurses who are friends of mine and run that program in and out of the ER, going from place to place, gathering equipment. And so I, I believe it was at that point that I was, I was exposed to COVID. And then um, I never forget, it was a Thursday night, the last week of March. I felt terrible. I had a terrible cough. And so I called my colleagues in the ER and said, hey, what do you think? And they're like, yeah, listen, come out to Guilford and and we'll see you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so and the cough, I apologize, is one of the yeah, it's part of one it. of the lingering effects of COVID. So um, so we went to Guilford. I, I saw my colleagues. They took a chest x-ray. They said, oh, young man, you have pneumonia. And I said, pneumonia? I don't smoke. And they said, yeah. They said, and we want you to go for a COVID test. So the next day, my wife drove me to the newly minted testing center in the parking structure at St. Refill's campus. And 24 hours later, I got my results. And lo and behold, I had COVID. So I languished at home that weekend. Brings us to April the 1st, 2 in the morning. I had been sleeping in the lounge chair in our living room because it was difficult to breathe. I felt like an old pulmonary edema patient. Yeah. You know, you lay them down there. They cough and they can't breathe. And so, and my wife, uh, who's a microbiologist, said, we're going to the hospital. And I said, but you're not calling 911. <laughs> right. Like all, everyone in EMS, I'm stubborn. Right. So, uh, you you know, you wouldn't call 911 uh, yes, either, right? I would right? not call 911. <laughs> so, I, uh, I said to her, drive me to the ambulance. And as an aside, for the last almost 25 years, uh, on the weekends, I would work um, as a medic for the North Brantford Fire Department. Mm-hmm. Um, on Sundays, I missed seeing patients. Right. And uh, other than the 10 years that I was at OEMS. And so um, she drove me there. It was like 1.30, 2 o'clock in the morning. I knocked on the window. I scared the hell out of the crew. Perfect. I climbed in the back of the truck, and I said, take me to yell because I can't breathe. 
And very distinctly, I remember as the ambulance pulled out of the bay, there's a long driveway to get to Middletown Avenue. And the last vision I had of my wife was her getting smaller and smaller in the window. In the window of the ambulance. Yeah, and I didn't know, was I coming back? I had only heard kind of stories about this mysterious illness called COVID. So they take me to, they take me to Yale and I get into the emergency department and the attending is a friend of mine, you know, casual friend from EMS. And I said, uh, Alyssa, two things. I'm not getting intubated and I'm not getting admitted. (laughs) And that was the last thing I remember. Really? Um, Some nurses subsequent to that admission and, and there's a sort of a longer story, but um, told me, we don't know why, how you were still talking. Your O2 sat was in the 60s. Wow. And so uh, one of the ED nurses who I met several months later said, we didn't know who you were then, but we know who you are now. They said, and we never saw anyone get intubated and move to the ICU so fast. And they said, you were really, really sick. And so I was in the ICU for... 24 days I was intubated for well it varies either 19 or 22 do you remember being in the ICU Uh, I I do Um, I remember a couple of times waking up yeah um, and one of the stories was retold to me I'm as a paramedic I'm fascinated with the ability to read a 12 lead yeah and so 12 lead um, is an EKG EKG sorry yeah And, and so um, I like to, you know, you go for physical, you read them, you're, yeah. you're teaching your students, you sh- they show you EKGs. <laughs> and so I remember um, I touched the hand of a nurse that just did a 12 lead. And I can remember that she held it over my face. And, and I kind of looked at it and then went back to sleep. That's the only part of the ICU time I remember. And that was 20 days, 21 uh, days? 22 days in the ICU. And that's the only thing That's the only recollection I have. And the, the clarity to that story was given to me uh, because, and, I'll, and later on in my, my journey here, I'll tell you that I got to go back and visit the ICU where I spent all those days. And so um, I, get, I get extubated, I go to step down. Well, on day four of my ICU stay, they were calling my wife on a cycle of every night between 11 and midnight. I have three children. Mm -hmm. Um, My son's in medical school. My daughter is an EMT going to nursing school in September. My older son is an EMT but doesn't work in the industry. So they know the vernacular. Mm -hmm. And so the doctor said, um, we don't have enough ventilators. We have to split the vent so he can share it with another patient. And we're going to make him a DNR. And my wife was like, wow. a DNR? He's 53 years old. We have three children. Now, a DNR, for those who don't know, is a do not resuscitate right. order, which means if you should expire, right. they're not going to try to resuscitate you with CPR. Right. And he said to her, we don't have enough resources to try a successful resuscitation. And now I understand it. If I'm going to pass, you don't want to expose that whole team to to COVID. Mm-hmm. And so anyway, so I, I get discharged. There was quite a hoopla put on, not by with my knowledge. On the day I was discharged, my EMS fire and police colleagues, there were about 400 of them, fire trucks and ambulances yeah. and police cars outside the ER. And they, they gave me a hell of a send off to Gaylord. And 
the one thing I remember of that day was before the ambulance came to get me, to take me to Gaylord, I kept calling my wife every like 15 minutes. You got to get me out of here. I'm signing out AMA. <laughs> I'm leaving. They, I said, they're the water police. They won't give me a drink of water. I, I think I was delirious. And, and during that conversation, um, I had a hard time with my cognition. And my wife said at one point, the nurses were, they used a lot of iPads here and stuff. And, yeah. and all the hospitals around the country started to use technology so that I could at least talk to my family. Yeah. And, and the nurses here are just over the moon. And so one day my wife said, how many children do you have? And I said, I have three. I said, Jake, Alexa, and Mighty Mouse. I couldn't remember my middle son's name. And so they, now two years out, they tease me about that, that my, my son is Mighty Mouse. But um, so I get discharged and I get up to Gaylord and to a much smaller scale, there was some hoopla mm -hmm. at Gaylord because a uh, typical public safety person, I don't have three jo two jobs, I have three. Right. I'm right, also right. the deputy emergency management director in Wallingford. So all my OEM fire colleagues were there. And, right. and so <laughs> it was an unusual time. One recollection I have is when I came out of the hospital, uh, my godson was on the crew that came and moved me, Sam. And I didn't know, Jeremy, that day, could I touch anyone? Could I touch my family? You know, my wife was by the stretcher. I was afraid. Yeah, yeah. I kept my hands tucked in because I was genuinely afraid to make anyone else sick. To make someone sick. Right. After so, what you had just gone through. Right, right. And and with, like, literally there's a 24-day period where I could have been on vacation in Hawaii. I know I wasn't. Right. But, <laughs> so it's very unnerving in public safety and public health and paramedicine. We're used to being sort of in charge, in right. charge of our faculties. Right. We don't like when we have to have people take care of us. I argued with the attending that night. I don't want to be a burden. Yeah. You know, we take care of thousands of patients in our career. I shouldn't be one of them. And so um, we go to Gaylord. I, I, I meet some people. <clears throat> and I need to tell you about Gaylord. When you're in the ICU, something I know now I didn't know then, um, your legs kind of get, they, there's atrophy. They, yeah. they don't remember how to work. And so they move me over in the bed and, and the people are just wonderful. And, and this um, lovely uh, woman with a thick German accent, Maria, comes in the room and she says, Lenny, tomorrow we're going to walk. And I said, no, we're not. No, we're not. <laughs> no, we're not. And uh, we have to stop. Um, she said, we're going to walk tomorrow. You get good sleep tonight, and we're going to walk. Now, I hadn't shaved. I looked like, you know, I don't know what I looked like. Yeah. I had a central line in and a uh, central IV. And so um, 5 o'clock the next morning, the lights come on. Maria comes in. We're going to walk today. Jeremy, other than the nurses at Yale yeah. and my own family, Maria took better care of me than anyone I've ever met. She helped me dress. She helped feed me. She said, uh, she was just wonderful. She said, yeah. tomorrow you're going to shave. But in, in Gaylord, they give you these razors that you couldn't even, you know, <laughs> cut paper with. <laughs> yeah. I mean, for safety, of course. Yeah. 
And so she said, I'm stole some razors from my husband. And, wow. and, and she was just, she was just wonderful. And so, um, so they, they helped me. I, I go to therapy every day and, and it, it's just a wonderful, wonderful environment. And how you long know, were you at Gaylord? I was at Gaylord for 29 days. 29 days. Yeah. And so, um, I'd been on the disaster medical assistance team in my career and law enforcement and EMS and a smidgen of firefighting. And so I, I have all these different contacts and, you know, now I have a phone. So I'm like, you know, yeah, going crazy. And, uh, so I get discharged from Gaylord and I go home and I had a couple of, uh, syncopal episodes. Right. Uh, this one, is syncopal episodes where you passed out. Yeah. At home. Yeah. And, uh, my wife called 911. And when I was revived, there were six firefighters in my living room. And, uh, and I said, what are you guys doing here? And they're like, yeah, yeah, you passed out. And I'm like, yeah, but I'm not going anywhere. They're like, no, you're going somewhere. And so, uh, that happened twice. And I adamantly said no. And now these are all my Wallingford colleagues that I've worked with. Right. And, you people know, that you know. Right. People that I know. And, and so, um, there was some dehydration and, and some medication issues. And, um, again, COVID was new for everybody. Yeah. You know, I, I remember now that on the day of my discharge, the attending whose name I can't remember said, boy, you got the bonus plan, pneumonia, COVID yeah. intubated. He said to me, don't come back. I said, trust me, I'm going to do my best yeah, yeah. not to come back, you know, <laughs> all, all jovial, of course. But yeah. Um, so now fast forward about, well, you've known me a long time. I think it was August. Yeah. I got out in the Memorial Day weekend and home and in August 1st. I called my boss and said, listen, I got to come back to work. I'm stir crazy here. I'll come in half a day, whatever. Jump right back in ACLS class my second day. And my role was I did the introduction and then there was a cadre of wonderful instructors and they delivered it. And when I left the introduction, um, a young woman came up the hall behind me and she said, excuse me, are you Lenny? And I said, yeah. And she started to cry. And I said, oh my God, was I offensive yeah. or... You know, look, check out my tire. Yeah, what? What yeah, did wait, I do? I got, what did I, got, I, do? I got food on my face. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And she said to me, my name is Allie. And I was your first nurse in the ICU. She said, and you were my first COVID patient. She said, and I can't believe that you're standing here four months later in a suit. Yeah. And I said, oh, my God, thank you. I mean, how can I thank you? I mean, what? You know, yeah. don't want to wash your car, cut your grass, whatever. Yeah, right. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, really, I mean, yeah. and, and that's. Part of my sentiment of this thing, Jeremy, is I have a million people. Do we have a time limit? Uh, I have a million people that I need to thank yeah. that I'll never meet. And so Ali said to me, at the recommendation of my manager, I kept a log of your care. And she said they told us that that would be therapeutic for us because they were dealing with the effects yeah. of COVID as well. Yeah. Full PPE and pappers for 12-hour shifts and and so – she said, could I send it to you? And uh, I said, yeah. And so she um, retold the story of the phone call with my wife about the vent. She did. And she said to me, uh, something I'm going to take with me until the day I leave this earth. She said, my friends and I decided that we were not going to let you die. Oh my and, God. and I like, so, I mean, what can I say? This young lady and her team of seven nurses. Right. Who you don't know. They didn't know me. 
They didn't know me. <clears throat> so, so I said, oh my God, thank you. And so um, I was so touched by that. And, and it was funny because my wife had kept one of those black, when you were a kid, you had that English notebook. Yeah. <clears throat> All notes with dates and times and names. And literally, if you put Allie's letter journal and my wife's journal, they were like identical. You know, the same information. And, and Allie said to me, it was until like four or five days later, a doctor had come from Boston who was managing some of their stuff. And they decided to prone me, which is put me on my stomach. Yeah. And she said, we think that that saved your life. And so, um, you know, I had scars on my face from the mask and everything. Yeah. And, and so, um, so I, I've subsequently developed kind of a friendship with Allie. We text back and forth and she's furthering her education in nursing and she's kind of taking my daughter under her wing. And uh, so that's the kind of care that not just in this hospital or at Gaylord, but the healthcare system delivered at Waterbury, wow. in Hartford, everywhere. Right. And I, I was fortunate enough to speak at another event and I said this and I mean it, I was carried on the wings of angels because I shouldn't be here. I right. should, you know, a million people didn't survive COVID. So there must be a plan for me. And, and, you know, and so now my job every day from that discharge from Gaylord is to pay it forward. I took my new role here at the hospital mm -hmm. in patient transport because although I was helping medical professionals with education, yeah. I want to help patients. And so I get to be part of moving people to and from their appointments, getting admitted, getting discharged. I'll tell you a little bit more of the story. I was here about two weeks in December of uh, 2020 and uh, I was really busy and I volunteered to go bring a patient to the morgue with one of my transporters. And there's the morgue cart and it's got a cover on it and everything. And, right. um, and so it's a long underground walk to the morgue here at Yale. And it's, um, it's an old part of the building. And it's, it's unusual, you know, and it's dark. And so as we're walking, my transporter named Camay, she said to me, Mr. Gersher, are you okay? And I said, yeah. I said, I, it's kind of unnerving because I would have been in this cart yeah. a few months ago. And she stopped and she said to me, I moved you a couple of times when you were sick and here as a patient. And I stopped dead. I'm like, oh, my God, Kame, thank you very much. Yeah. How do I repay you? You know, there are all these people, Jeremy, that that well, didn't know me, that did their job day right. in and day out. Right. And were scared. You know, they didn't know what they were bringing home to their families. And that's um, that's the thing that people I don't know if they forget or they don't or they don't fully appreciate is. All of the people who walk through the doors of the hospital or into an ambulance mm -hmm. or wherever else that they were providing the vital services. Right. And that and people need it. Everywhere. Everywhere in the everywhere, healthcare system. Right. Everywhere. You know, and, and, and so this is kind of company agnostic. It doesn't matter what hospital you work Correct. for. Or whatever. We were all kind of in the same boat yeah. for a long time. And, and so subsequently, because of long COVID, I've had lots of medical testing mm -hmm. and on probably about three or four occasions I've met um, staff, radiology staff who said, Hey, 
we came to carry you when you were in the ICU. And I say the same thing. What can I do to repay you? Yeah. And so um, once COVID kind of waned, I got to visit the ICU. I bought a big basket of gummy bears and coffee pods and right. every junk food that they probably didn't need. And right. I obviously went through channels and called the manager and I went to visit. Yeah. And I'm struck by the fact that they continued to thank me. You know, oh my God, thank you. I'm like, wait, wait, thank wait, me. wait, you got, that's what I'm saying, Jerry. Right. Well, I said, you kept me alive. You didn't know me. Literally kept Literally you alive. kept me alive. And, and they said, no, they said, um, very few people, A, come back to see us, and very few really sick people ever make it. <laughs> and so I'm forever in their debt. And now when I round every couple of weeks, I stop on that unit. I mean, I round every day, but yeah. every couple of weeks. And so there are just a million little stories about people that touched my life. And, and the other part of this I can't let go is there was a whole network of people keeping my family propped up because my wife didn't know when I left her at two o'clock in the morning, whether I was going to come home and then he's going to be a DNR. And then, and then when you get to Gaylord to protect the other patients and the staff, you can't, you can't have visitors. There could, she couldn't have visitors here, even though she works in the hospital Yeah, that she couldn't go How anywhere. How long were you apart from your wife totally? 57 days. 57 days. 57 days. And before that, you'd never been apart. No. Right. We've been married for 29 years. And, and, uh, this is kind of a little bit of a fun fact that Maria that I talked about at Gaylord. Yeah. One day she said to me, you stink. <laughs> and I said, what do you mean? She said to me, you're going to take a shower. I'm like, man, no, I'm not. She said, I said, she said, yeah, you're going to take a shower. And I said, I've never been naked in front of anyone but my wife in 29 years. Yeah. She said, ah. Oh. So she literally wheeled me to the shower, turned the shower on, helped me into it, closed the curtain. She said, now get cleaned up. Came back, you know, took me back to my room, helped me shave. I mean, that's the kind of tactile, intimate mm -hmm. care that happens every single day that goes unnoticed. Right. Yet some stupid basketball player gets stopped for doing 200 miles an hour and it's on the 6 o'clock news. But nurses and PCAs and transporters and paramedics and cops right. and firemen, they do good stuff every day. Yeah. They don't want a billboard. They don't want to be on the radio. Yeah. And, and so... Um, and they're taking care of people when they're really, really vulnerable. Yeah. Like, like you. Right. right. You couldn't do things for yourself. Right. Yeah. When I, when I went back to visit them, um, and, I, and I'm, I'm very sheepish. You know, I don't... You know, you know me as bravado. Yeah. And I said... Um, they said one little a PCA, uh, her name was uh, another Maria, said, oh, she said, we remember when we were rolling you over... We would talk to you, and you tried to help us roll yourself <laughs> over. Because, again, not wanting to be a burden. Yeah. And, and uh, I said, oh, my God, I hope I wasn't naked in front of you. And they all burst out laughing, you know. <laughs> I had tubes and wires and everything else. And I don't, I don't remember any of it. Yeah. But they were, they're, just, they're just wonderful people doing a very difficult job. And, and, and Under extra difficult circumstances, right? Yeah, I mean, right? you've just, been in PPE and worn a pamper. Yes, and yes. Imagine... You work a 12-hour shift. Some of our medical staff, even our patient transporters, they stayed here. They stayed here. We set up cots. Lived here. And they lived here because, A, we needed them. Yeah. 
And B, they didn't know what they were going to take home to their families. And COVID has touched every part of this country and every part of the world. Yeah. And I, I have, uh, you know, sort of one regret from the world where I see it. I think the country has a short memory. Like on 9-11, everybody was, and now 20 years past the 9-11 attacks or 10 years past Sandy Hook, we look at what happened to the children in Texas and we go, oh, my God, how did that happen? Like, wait a minute. Do, do you not remember what happened yeah. in Sandy Hook yeah. or at a or at an auto parts or a grocery store in Buffalo? People are f- fixated on just their own kind of on their own kind of lives. But. Um, as we close our time together, I'm going to say a couple more things to you. I was carried on the wings of angels. Yale saved my life and Gaylord gave me my life back. And I would do anything for those three sets of people. And, um, and I, I learned a lesson from my father. My father was a volunteer firefighter. And uh, he said to us, myself and my siblings, he said, the only time you look down on someone is when you're helping them off the street. And I have tried to live my life even before COVID and now after COVID. Well, I have known you for many years and you've always, <clears throat> you've always um, been an example of that in my interactions with you for many years. And I think that when you, you talk about being carried on the wings of angels, if you look at your decades long of, you know, going into the worst of the worst and helping people on oftentimes their worst day. Um, you know, I think that you, you deserved it. So, um, as we finish up today, I just want to thank you again for being with me and sharing the story. Um, again, you've had an extraordinary career. You've done many, many things for a lot of people. And, um, I'm glad that you made it through. Thanks. I'm, I'm, Diligently building up my strength and riding third on my old ambulance. You're back. As an EMT, I don't think I can be a paramedic again because my cognition is not there. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I, I really just want anybody that hears this to know that we all need to be nice to each other because life can be gone in a second. Yeah. You and, never know. Uh, yeah. It was weird when I left the hospital EMS celebration. I heard the distinct sound of the ventilator, that beep and clicking sound. You did. When it cycles. Yeah. And it stops me dead. Really? Because I, auditorially, I, right. I was well, able to. Well, subconsciously, you, right, did, right. you were listening to that for 30 days or whatever yeah, yeah, it was. Yeah. So, wow. Jeremy, I'm honored that you took some time and, and uh, I'm honored that you would want me to be part of your podcast. And like you, I've watched your career grow and. I appreciate your time, and thank you very much. Thank you, Lenny. Thanks again, for everyone, for joining us on another edition of Stories of the Pulse. We hope you enjoyed it, and we'll catch you next time.